Shalom mishpacha. Shalom, family. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. means family. And we're the mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people, where the middle wall is separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, mishpacha, to blow the grandest shofar, all the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to hear God's voice. After all, Jesus made a statement. It's an absolute truth. And this is what he said. My sheep hear my voice. Uh, Richard Mole, when you uh, survey people that you speak before, uh, you ask the question, how many of you hear God's voice on a regular basis? Uh, What type of feedback are you getting? Well, I ask a series of questions, and when I get to that point, hearing God on a regular basis, it doesn't matter what denomination I'm speaking at. It's typically um, 90% or more don't hear God on a regular basis. That, that, that is awful. And as a matter of fact, why is it, in your opinion? In my opinion, it's because no one's ever taught. I, I had a seminary degree. And I never had one class on how to hear God. Well, and if you hadn't had a class, then for sure you weren't teaching it. Uh, That's right. But you know what See, I find interesting? You, you, you were saved at a young age, uh, at age nine. Uh, and at 13, some young people came to you, and they asked a very important question. They asked you, what is God saying to you? How did you respond? I thought they were crazy. I uh, had never heard anybody talk like that before, and I thought they're hearing voices. And because uh, no one had ever said anything like that, I'd never heard God speak to me. I thought they were hearing voices coming out of the clouds or something, and it sounded crazy to me. But at that young age of 13, you actually felt the presence of God. Explain. I began to understand that what they meant was that they read their Bible every day and, and learned something about God from the Bible. And so I began to read the Bible every day, and I began to pray because others were praying. And I wanted to fit in. Um, wanted to fit in with this youth group, so I was just doing the things that everybody was doing. And one day, while I was praying, I knew in my head God was there, but this day was different. It was like I couldn't see anybody in the room. There's no indentation on the bed next to me. But his presence was that tangible. It was as if there was an indentation on the bed. And for the first time, I was like, wow, do I get on my knees? Do I lay flat? What do I do? Because God is here. He's really here. Well, I'm, I'm told that when you would even pray, people would see a difference in the way you pray as opposed to most people. Yeah, it was a buddy in seminary that, that said that, and others agreed. They're like, Richard, when you pray, it's like God's really here. And I looked at him so strange, like, yeah, of course. And I didn't realize that most Christians, it, it was a different type of exercise. Um, that, that They were talking to God, hoping that he was there, hoping that he could hear them, but not knowing it. And somehow, as a 13-year-old, I just began to know he's here. Uh, now, why did you go to a seminary? wanted to go into ministry. But do you believe uh, God was directing you into ministry? Yeah, yeah. About a junior in high school. I I had always loved engineering and science and math and knew that that's what I was going to do with my life. But a 
over about a year period of time. I abandoned that call because I knew that there was nothing else that I wanted to do more than win souls for Christ. And um, the two things that I figured I would never do is write and preach. And those are my two favorite things now. But at the time, I wanted to just win souls and um, serve God. So. Okay, so you're, you're at this Baptist Bible College, and you're uh, having discussions, reading books about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Uh, what did you think about these uh, apologetics against speaking in tongues? I thought it was hogwash. Uh, it was, um, I, I wanted to believe them. I wanted, because that was my bent, that was by choice what I wanted to conclude was that tongues was not of God. I already somehow had had that fed to me. I don't remember anybody talking a lot about it, but I just knew it was bad stuff. But it was reading the theological works against tongues and looking up the scriptures for myself that I realized that they didn't have a leg to stand on. They were twisting the scripture. Give me one example that comes to mind. Um, they would take 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul says, um, I would that you all pray in tongues. And they would say, Paul was being sarcastic. And Paul says, I pray in tongues more than all of you. And they said that, you know, again, that trying to pull out from the Greek that, that he was being sarcastic because it was a church with problems. He was correcting the problems. But if you read it for yourself without someone trying to twist the interpretation, of that, you go, Paul is exalting prophecy above tongues, but giving tongues great value. And I didn't, I was from churches that didn't believe in either. And I'm going, this passage really messes with my background and my training. And rather than trying to twist scripture to fit my preference and my theological background and my experience, I wanted to be true to scripture. Okay, you're in the Baptist college, you're in your dorm room, you're by yourself, and you say a bold prayer. What was that prayer? After realizing that tongues was a gift from God, I said, God, I don't want to reject any gift. If you want me to pray in tongues or or have any of the other gifts, I give you permission to do that. And I immediately started praying in tongues. Did you have doubts as you were doing this? Was this really God? I did. For a couple of years, I would wrestle when I would pray in tongues. And it was actually a good buddy of mine, a believer from Israel, my best friend. And uh, we were in seminary together, or Bible college together. And he said, Richard, it's when you're praying that this happens. And he goes, I know when you're praying that you're in God's presence. Why do you doubt it? And I was like, I don't know. I see it in Scripture. I had all my theological training was against that, but I could see through the arguments. But at the same time, just because I could stop it, I thought, I must be doing this. Okay, with all this theological training, were you once instructed on how to hear God's voice? I remember one class that the professor talked about God speaking, and it was a psychology professor. And he said there's only four scriptures in the Bible that, talk, that people use to talk about God speaking. And it was a class of over 100 students, and nobody said, you're joking, because there's way more scriptures than that. Because 
Most of us had never been taught anything. So everybody just sat there listening. And he talked about examples of people that, um, you know, say God led them to kill somebody or, you know, God led them to divorce their spouse. And he basically came to the conclusion that anybody who says God spoke to them needs professional psychological help. And, um, and took the four scriptures that he thought, including um, Jesus' words, my sheep um, hear my voice, and told us what they really meant. Now that I have the God Speaks Bible and God's had me in that for four years, I realize there are so many passages about God speaking and about his voice from Genesis to Revelation. How could anyone even say that? And how could a group of seminary students not react to that statement? Why do you have such a passion that every Bible believer hears God's voice for themselves? Why do you have that such a passion? I believe it's the foundation that Jesus taught his disciples, that there, he doesn't give formulas. What he gave is that he said, I do nothing of my own initiative. I only do what I see the Father doing. And I think the foundation of discipleship, Jesus was teaching his followers to be dialed into the Father, to know his voice, to hear him, to be led by the Spirit of God. And there's nothing that's impacted my Christian life more. There's nothing that makes me more effective. I've learned a lot. I've done a lot of healing ministry. And, and I could do it by rote. I could do it by experience. But I have learned that the most powerful breakthroughs happen when I check all of my experience, all of my knowledge, all of my knowledge of Scripture at the door and put the Holy Spirit in charge and listen to what he says. Most of the time he surprises me and he takes me in a direction that wasn't on my radar screen, that my training wouldn't have provided for me. And, and he deals with things so much faster and better than I could if I operate out of my knowledge. Okay. In your opinion... Can any true Bible believer hear God as clearly as you do? I believe they have to. Yes. Especially with what's about ready to come on planet Earth. Yes. We have to hear God. Okay. The God Speaks Bible. Learn to hear God. You've color-coded this with such things as every time God speaks Every miracle, literally, when someone, and, and the translation, uh, I'm not that familiar with it, but I, I do know it's a solid translation, but I love this translation. It's the New English translation, um, and uh, you have every miracle in one color. Every time there was an angel in one color. It's color-coded. You have a beautiful laminated bookmark so that when they see the code, they know what it is. And, uh, and it's his intent that as you read the Word, you become impregnated with everything supernatural in the Bible. Uh, and then the workbook, I love it. It's, uh, it's a four-week course so that someone will be able to hear God's voice. Now, we're making the Bible, and it, it's an imitation leather, but I, I, I love it. And very, very readable print. Um, 
and uh, perhaps you're looking to start getting back into the Bible, how would you like everything supernatural highlighted, depending on what it is in different colors, as you read it, that means meditate on that. Get that word inside of you. I want you to give yourself a gift. We're making the Bible available for a gift of $79, including the four-week workbook. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. No matter what happens on planet Earth, no matter how awful it becomes, If people hear God's voice, I happen to believe it'll be the most exciting adventure of our lives. What do you think? Amen. Definitely. Okay. I'm going to take you back. You never went to seminary. Uh, You're in ministry now. But you never were taught how to hear God's voice. If you were taught anything, you were taught the opposite. You got the Bible. That's all you need. Well, that's true. That's all you need, but you need to do what the Bible says. And the Bible, you tear it. If if someone took the supernatural out of the Bible, would they have much left, Richard? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. We're, we're we're trying to find out what percentage of Scripture is supernatural. We're having some issues because we need a programmer to to help us. Um, and, and we got a couple different programmers, but but we should have it pretty soon. I'll be able to tell you exactly what percentage of Scripture. Approximately, what do you think? I believe it's between 60 and 80% of the Bible is supernatural, um, and it's de- definitely over 50%. I believe we're closer to 80% of the Bible is supernatural. If you took out everything that's happening that's supernatural, you'd only have 20% of the Bible. Okay, take you back to 96, 1996, you're in ministry, and not one, but two wonderful ministry opportunities cross your path. And you realize, God, I don't know which one is from you. That had to be very frustrating. It was very frustrating. Uh, but at the same time, when you get two opportunities, it's, it's exciting. But you want to know, is there one that is the will of God over the other? Because either one I would have been happy with. So how'd you find out? Well, I was Baptist youth pastor, and uh, I prayed a prayer that, is not normal for us. And uh, so I said, God, I need it to be supernatural. Otherwise, I'm going to always wonder. If I, if I stayed, I would wonder if I took the easy road. If I head overseas, and now i got people that are saying God told them I'm supposed to stay here, I may doubt and wonder, you know, did I miss God? So I want a supernatural answer. And this is literally what I prayed, and I fasted, but I prayed, Lord, either drop a granite stone out of the sky with it etched in it, like the Ten Commandments. Yes, etch it in there. You can do that. You did it before. Or Yeah, I saw that in a movie. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Go ahead. <laughs> I said, or send somebody walk up off the street and tell me God told them I'm supposed to stay here. I said, if it's a total stranger and they walk up off the streets and they tell me, I will know that that is from you. I fasted for four days. I had communicated with the senior leadership of the church that I was going to be resigning to head overseas unless God supernaturally revealed that I was supposed to stay. So what did God do? Did you get hit in the head with a piece of granite? 
The granite did not show up, but on Monday morning, I finished the fast on a Thursday. On Monday morning, I got a call from the receptionist, and she said, there's a guy out here who wants to speak to the pastor. We had 10 pastors on staff, and um, they were all gone to lunch. So I came out there. The guy with a long beard, long hair, he had dirty hands. He's missing most of his teeth. There was an old beat-up pickup truck outside the glass windows I could see, and I thought, this is going to be interesting. I said, how can I help you? And he introduced himself, told a little bit about having a ministry in the inner city to the prostitutes and homosexuals. And he said, God told me today to come in here and speak to a pastor. So I was like, okay, how can I help you? He started to cry a little bit as he said the words. He said, the only thing I know that God wants me to say is that sometimes we feel like God wants us to go far away, like another country. That's where he can use us when in reality God wants us to stay right where we are, and that's where he's going to use us to make an impact. And he says, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but God told me today to come in here and tell this to a preacher. Aren't you glad that he had enough? We Jewish people have a word called chutzpah. He had enough chutzpah, nerve, to tell you something that he didn't have a clue of what he was even talking about. Yeah, I thought, God, what kind of person would it, could even answer that prayer. You know, the normal Christian that I'd always grown up with couldn't. I had never met anybody that would do something like that. But God said, wow, Richard, tough request, but I got one guy I could call on. So he did it. Okay, you knew what you were supposed to do, but then you got a little bit more than you bargained for. This Pastor Cecil started mentoring you in the supernatural, uh, but uh, you had seen something that I think it's a horrible term. It's called slain in the spirit uh, rather than to me, I would call it overcome by the presence of the living God. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what did you think of, of uh, being slain in the spirit? Well, I never seen it in scripture. It was interesting because I believed, I, Charles Finney had always been one of my favorites, and I knew that that type of stuff happened under him. But I felt a lot of what I had seen, and I hadn't been around it much, but what I had seen was people being pushed seemed a little overdramatic. Um, and um, so I had really shied away from it, couldn't see it in the Bible. And I had had a a drummer in our youth band come up to me and want to share visions he had when he was slain in the spirit. So I just looked at him and I'm thinking in my head, okay, if God was going to give anybody visions, wouldn't it be me? I'm the youth pastor and you're just a kid. I didn't say that, but that was, you know, my arrogance um, thought that. And then, uh, and then I asked him, I said, can you show me slain in the spirit of the Bible? And he couldn't. And I just was like, see, you know, I said, if God shows you something in the word, I tell it to me, and I'd be glad for you to share it. But no, not something that you saw in a vision when you were slain in the Spirit. It was exactly seven days later that Cecil called me and said, I have another word from God for you. And it had been eight months. I didn't think he was real. I hadn't heard anything from him. And um, he showed up at my office, and he gave me... He said, before I give you the word that God gave me to tell you, we need to go pray for your wife. She's having severe back pain. I was like, how does this guy know these things? So we went to my house. He prayed for my wife. God healed her. And he turned to give me a word from God. And the next thing I knew, I was laying on the floor having a vision. What, what was your vision? 
I, you know, it was fairly long and extensive, but um, in, the, in a nutshell, I first saw um, an angel at my feet. And the angel it seemed like morphed into a man. It was, it was the same person, same being, but at first it looked like an angel, and then it was a man, and he was laying a sheet over me. And at that very moment, this guy Cecil said, there's an angel and he's laying a mantle on you. And I thought, how does he know what I'm seeing? And it wasn't like he had suggested something and then I saw it. It was, um, he was saying exactly what I was seeing. And then um, I saw uh, another being that invited me to come. And, and it was like they peered through. Actually, I saw a sword falling from the sky, and it split this veil. But I couldn't see the veil until the sword hit it. And all of a sudden, like, the image went from kind of grayish to much more clear because I could see through the veil. And I saw the sword, and it split this veil. And a creature invited me to, it, it was like a young person, invited me to come behind the veil. And I went with them behind the veil, and there was um, a large, round platform, um, like an altar, or I, I want to say the word, I, I, actually I don't know what it, it would be called exactly, but above it was hovering this, like a Roman shield, uh, not a shield, but a um, helmet, and it was, it was hovering and kind of spinning slowly. And I'm just looking at all this. It was three-dimensional, as real as anything I'm looking at right now. And so I'm watching that, and then there was a star that came down from above. And the closer it got to me, the more I felt this energy, and it was pulsating inside me like it was going to explode. And at one point, I just said, enough. And it was like the vision stopped. And I had been on the ground. I don't know how long my wife had gotten down to make sure I was still breathing because she was worried about me. I'm sure. And um, and I just sat up and I was like, wow. I remembered kind of mocking the kid the week before about what I had just experienced. I mean, here I am exactly seven days before. This is just a couple hours before I would be normally leading my youth. And I was sitting there going, I just got off the floor and I just had a vision. I'm going to ask that kid to forgive me because even though I can't explain what just happened to me and I'm, I'm not going to quickly use this word slain in the spirit lightly or anything like that. I know that this was an encounter. Okay. We're out of time right now, Richard. How did you and your wife begin to hear God's voice? Great question. And it was, you know, such an interesting process. I teach people now to hear God in a matter of minutes and almost 100% hear God. But when you don't have a mentor sometimes, you learn a lot by almost like trial and error. But I was, the very first time that it became uh, desperate was um, I was beginning to really seek God in the Word for hours a day, fasting and praying. I wanted to know how to hear his voice. And I thought, all right, I'm going to walk up to total strangers and, like Cecil, give them um, a word from God. And a couple times where I felt pretty sure I... Uh, by the way, let me just interject something here. Uh, I, I work a lot with traditional Jewish people, 
and I try to show them. And I have what I consider the greatest proof imaginable that Jesus is the Messiah. But there's almost like spiritual scales over their eyes, and they don't hear me. But one word from God, one miracle, one sign and wonder, and the scale just disappears. And then they hear the truth, and they receive Jesus. This is so important. Would you agree, Richard? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, um, what's interesting is how many people actually, when you hear God and you give them a word from God, it touches people more deeply than anything I could say. Uh, okay. Tell me what the steps that occurred for you to hear God for yourself. At first, I wanted to do it like Cecil, just because that was my only experience. And I had things that came to me, but I was too afraid to go up to a total stranger and try to do the same thing. And that's kind of like jumping in the deep end of the pool. And so I would ask God's forgiveness. I think I had something I needed to share to someone, but I was like, how do I know that this is God? So it began for me when I was doing a college retreat. I was seeing so much in Scripture. I was fasting and praying and crying out to God every day because I wanted to hear His voice. I wanted to experience God the way... Jesus taught his disciples. And I had been asked to speak at this college retreat. And this girl began to pull her shirt, pull her hair, writhe. And I was just a baby in hearing God's voice. And I'd been into the, is this God? Is this me? Is this God? But I didn't have the luxury of figuring that out. So I was like, God, show me what to do. This was a demon manifesting. Did you realize that? I had never seen that before. I, um, it was a Baptist college retreat, <laughs> mega church. And, um, and, and so I had to do what I believed was coming from God. And the girl got freedom. And I turned around and I explained to the group what happened and why I did what I did. Like I understood it. But I, it was like I knew this is not coming from me. Even the explanation is not coming from me. I had never experienced anything like that before. I was actually thinking, I hope somebody takes good notes because this is really good stuff, and I, I won't remember it. What exactly did you say to this girl that was writhing with a demon controlling her? I was led to pray in the name of Jesus the blood of Jesus. So I was saying things in relation to those. That, first of all, you have good theological training. You know that those are two important truths, but they've never been practical. They've always been theoretical and theological. And right now, I need what works. Well, it does work. So if you have time to think about it, you may come up with that on your own, but I, will, I was totally at a loss. But the Holy Spirit said, there's power in my name you know, rebuke it in my name. And I, so I rebuked this spirit in the name of Jesus. And, and I couldn't tell you the words that I said, but it, was, it had to do with uh, covering her in the blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that's in the blood of Jesus. And that, that breaks the rights that the enemy has, stuff that now I do all the time and I understand it and know why it works and how it works. Then it was just, I'm saying what I believe the Spirit of God is leading me to say. I did feel prompted to pray in tongues, and I knew I was at a Baptist group, and I had never done anything in tongues publicly. And I was like, oh, thanks a lot, God. Yeah, in addition to that, you were shouting something. What were you shouting? 
when I finished the tongues, I, I, I felt impressed to shout, freedom in Jesus' name. And, and I, that was one that I really had a hard time with because I thought I must have been watching some TV evangelist. I had to pick this up somewhere. <laughs> That's not you, is it? <laughs> yeah. And, and I've never done that before. but In a Baptist church. <laughs> yep. And uh, so I did it in obedience to the Lord. And then it was like I had understanding of the meaning of everything that I did and could explain why I did it. But I knew that that understanding wasn't coming from me. It was coming by the Spirit, even that. Even more important, what was going on with this woman? She got free. She actually, immediately after I shouted freedom in Jesus' name, she looked at me and then put her head down like she was majorly embarrassed because all this happened in front of everybody. Beautiful young woman. She was the pastor's daughter's best friend. And she, and so I pulled her aside, and she said, this has only happened before where the presence of God was. And she said, I, I go to psychiatrists, I'm on medications for the voices. She goes, but as soon as you walked in the room, the voices went crazy. And so, so in other words, these demons go crazy when the presence of God is there. Maybe that's why in a lot of churches, the demons, you don't even know people have demons. Because, <laughs> I mean, does that make sense? <laughs> he said, I picked this church because I knew the power of God wasn't here. <laughs> that's why she went there. But she really got, got apprehended by the Spirit of God. Uh, but, and then from that point, you started hearing God's voice. But did you know it was God's voice? It wasn't long, um, you know, it was because I began to have people contact me and want ministry, and I thought, you don't want ministry for me. I don't know what I'm doing. I tried to find someone else that would do it. And then when I would minister to people, God would show up. He would show me things. He would tell me things. And it was always, I felt like I would leave floating off the ground because I would know stuff about people's past. I would hear things by the Spirit, and it helped me to grow in confidence. But that that was the only place that I listened. Uh, You know what I happen to believe? What you're describing to me is normal, and what most people experience is not normal. I happen to believe the first believers in the Messiah, they were all normal. This was normal for them. How about someone that's saying right now, oh, he just, Richard Mull, he just has a special gift from God. Uh, I can't do that. What would you say to them? I teach the most, I teach kids how to hear God's voice and they hear God. Baptist youth groups, I've taught them and every kid in the youth group hears God. It isn't rocket science. I think it is supposed to be the norm. Um, In fact, on that college retreat, I called it extreme Christianity. And I was, it was really a play on words. Um, I used a lot of videos of extreme sports. But I said what we would call extreme was the norm. How many of you want to be a normal Christian? And every kid in the room stood up, and I was shocked because I, was, I had painted a new picture. I had, and the funny thing is I had never cast one demon out. I had never experienced what I was looking at in the book of Acts. But I was calling them to that type of Christian life. And it, your heart, when that was going on, your heart had to be just beating that first deliverance you were involved in. You must have been scared out of, out of your socks. I wanted to find the exit. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was ready to, I was ready to leave because I was like going, God, not here, not now. Exactly what I was asking for, he was doing. But it was also very inconvenient because he hadn't taught me how to do it. 
it was on-the-job training. So it was interesting because for six months, if I was leading worship somewhere, someone would manifest demons. If I was preaching somewhere, someone would manifest demons. It was like it was like God said, you want me to disciple you? You want me to teach you? I'm going to do it. Okay, well, our time is slipping away, and this Bible is too important. I want people to understand it. Uh, out of curiosity, why did you pick the, uh, the NET, the New English Translation, for your Bible? The New English Translation is one of the more accurate translations. It was produced by um, Dallas Theological, and uh, so we wanted to use one of the versions that was highly valued for its authenticity. And um, so that's part of why it was chosen. Um, the color coding is goes back to, first of all, the words that God himself spoke. Grow up with the red letter edition and the words that Jesus spoke. I began to trace every time God spoke. I had no idea how much of Scripture was God speaking first person. So we colorized that purple to represent his majesty. Then we've got every angel, dream, and vision colorized in blue because God speaks through messengers. And then we have uh, scripture colorized brown, where God speaks through a human component and uh, brings the, the message from God, but in, from a, through a human being. Then we've got yellow for every miracle, because actions speak louder than words, and God is often speaking. He's revealing himself through the miracles, signs, and wonders. And finally, green represents every um, time that scripture talks about God speaking, about God's voice. So it could be as simple as the Lord said, or the voice of the Lord is powerful. But you know what I've realized? Everything supernatural you have color-coded in this Bible. So you'll have a laminated bookmark which tells you what each color means. And then when you get to that, you meditate on it, and you literally, the Word is going to become flesh. And everything you're reading about, you're going to start doing, but you also need instructions. And that's why I have this wonderful workbook by Richard Mull uh, on how to hear God's voice. It's a four-week course. By the time you finish this, you will be normal. We're making it available for a gift of $79. Call it right today. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. Things are coming on planet Earth that if you don't hear God's voice, it'll be life-threatening. For instance, uh, Richard Mull, Tell me about the time that your son died, and had you not heard God's voice, he would have stayed dead. Yes, we um, actually had just gotten to the hospital, uh, had been concerned for uh, about 24 hours. We'd seen him kind of failing. He was almost two years old and um, didn't realize that some medicines had caused an ulcer in his stomach to rupture, and he had been being poisoned by his own um, stomach uh, juices. And so we got to the hospital, and as I pulled him off my chest, the words that came out of my mouth were, he's gone, my son is dead. And I set him down on uh, the hospital bed, and the girls that were in the room were just girls, just text. They left the room. And I began to pray over him. Doctors immediately came in, began to work on him. They could not find a heartbeat. 
they said he was gone. They, um, you know, knew he was dead and, and hooked him up to machines, could not get a heartbeat, could not get blood pressure, continued to work on him. While they worked on him, I answered questions, but most of the time I was praying out loud pretty fearlessly because I was like, this is game on. I've been studying healing for 15 years and believed that I would see the dead raised, but I hadn't had that opportunity before. The last thing I ever thought was that it would be one of my own children. But I thank God that I understood his word. I understood our authority and the power of God. So I began to operate um, and listen to the voice of God and pray over him, rebuked death. I thought of every scripture that I knew on healing, prayed through each one of them. Um, I knew his spirit was gone. I knew I was looking at just the shell because he was gone. The son that I knew was not there. And I was telling him, I, I didn't know where he was, but I said, Nathaniel, you come back here now. You listen to your daddy, and you come back here right now. I remembered the passage where the father brought his son to Jesus and said, um, Lord, heal my son. And Jesus said to him, do you believe? And he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And in that moment, I said, Lord, you know I believe. You know I've seen most of the miracles in the Bible. But, Lord, help my unbelief. I repent of any unbelief. I want complete faith for this miracle right now. And in that very moment... I saw in the middle of this hospital room a boat being tossed by the waves, the kind of boat Jesus and his disciples would have been in to fish. And I saw that boat, and in that boat, Jesus was standing. He was right there in the middle of the room. I saw this vision. And I knew that that was God's promise to me that my son was going to live. Well, 8 minutes, 15 minutes, 22 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. I, I knew we had passed the barriers where they say brain damage happens and everything else begins to happen. And we got to 40 minutes, and they found his heartbeat and his blood pressure and whisked him away. They had discerned that he had had an ulcer that ruptured because of the medicines that he had been on and the toxins had been poisoning him. And they told us he will not make it through the operation. There is no way. He's too weak. He was gone too long. If he does, he will be totally brain damaged. And I didn't listen to what they were saying. I knew God had promised me that he would be well. And um, we heard them one more time explain to us the hopelessness of the situation, but we weren't receiving anything that they were saying. And our son today is full of joy and life. He makes us laugh all day long. How long was he dead? Forty minutes. Yeah, I mean, if someone is dead for 40 minutes, uh, they they shouldn't even have a brain. Yeah. They should be brain dead. He spent 10 weeks in recovery, drug-induced coma because of the operation. Um, just had to, his body had to heal. And there were complications with, you know, they had to do dialysis for a week and there were other things. But, but um, God healed every part of his body and he came home. When we came back for... Uh, checkup, the doctor walked in the room and started to cry and turned around and walked out because he couldn't believe what he was seeing. Nathaniel was playing with a fishing pole, catching fish with a fishing pole, um, magnetic fishing pole. And the the skill level involved in doing that is um, pretty high for any two-year-old. And there he was, you know, catching fish with this fishing pole and just laughing and smiling. Now, now a few years ago, God spoke to you to sell your house. Do you know why God said that? Uh, 
he was actually speaking to us about, um, first of all, just decluttering, being ready to respond whatever he led us to do. He also began to speak um, that there was destruction coming to cities in America and that we would need to be ready to move and to go. Um, that was my wife that first heard about us selling the house. And if you know my wife, that is not uh, what she would typically think or want to do. We love our house. We love where we live. But we've learned God's voice. And we've learned every time we obey him, we, um, we hit a home run. But the first time he told us, we didn't listen. And if we had, we would have been able to pay cash for our house just two years later. You, you hear from God, and the most amazing miracles are happening. For instance, briefly, tell me about the woman uh, whose hands, because of such severe arthritis, uh, were about ready to be amputated. Well, we knew that that, that type of arthritis comes from self-hatred. And as we were ministering to her, the Holy Spirit just impressed upon me to ask her if there was anything she had never forgiven herself for. And in that moment, she asked if her daughter could be excused from the room because she had come with her daughter, and her daughter left the room. And, and she opened up to us about something that happened when she was a young girl that she had never been able to forgive herself for. And that day, she forgave herself. It took a while because it was one thing for her to believe God forgave her. It was another to receive his forgiveness. She knew it all of her life, but she had never received it because she didn't deserve it, she felt. So she received God's forgiveness, and then I asked her, can you forgive yourself now? And she goes, no, I could never do that. And I said, if the highest court in the land abdicates someone of their sin, removes them of their guilt, can a lower court hold them accountable? And she said, no. I said, do you realize you're putting yourself above God? If you can receive his forgiveness, do you believe your justice is greater than his? And she goes, that doesn't sound really good, does it? I said, no, but would you agree that that's what you're doing? And she said, yeah. And she forgave herself, and God totally healed her hands that day. Could you briefly tell me, this is amazing, about a pastor and that's ready to divorce his wife after 18 years of marriage. What happened? Real quick. Yeah. So it was 11 o'clock at night, which isn't my time of day. So I said, God, I want to know right off the bat what the issue is that we need to deal with. And we had our brief introduction, little chit-chat, and, um, and I just said, who's Karen? Because I'd been getting the name Karen. I said, I don't know. I said, somebody in your church named Karen? He goes, no. I said, somebody from your past named Karen? He said, yeah. And he said, I dated a girl when I was 15. I said, you had sexual relations with her? He said, yeah. I said, you have her picture in your wallet and her phone number's on the back of the picture? And he was like, yeah. How did you know that? You know, I've just learned to pay attention to the still, small voice. So it's, it's less than a whisper, but it's as clear as can be. And I just knew in my spirit those things. And I often phrase them in the form of a question, um, because sometimes even when you are right, people either want to hide something or they, um, uh, you know, I mean, it's different, different things. So um, I was, you know, just wording it. I was like, 
is her picture in your wallet? He's like, yeah, her phone number's on the back of the picture. I said, you fantasize about her when you're with your wife. Every question was a yes. And I said, you've got an ungodly soul tie with a woman that you had a relationship with 36 years ago. And I said, you've got to break up with that fantasy or you're going to be miserable. Well, what happened when he broke that fantasy through prayer? He, his ministry was restored, his marriage, he's happily married. He um, actually has a healing ministry now in his church, and uh, God um, kept him from walking away from the ministry and his wife and family. We want everyone, everywhere, to hear God's voice for themselves. And there are people I can almost hear you saying, yes, I want to hear your voice for myself, God. If that's you, uh, I'll tell you what, Richard Mull, who's been raised up by God, he hears God's voice so clearly, and he's been raised up to mentor you to specifically do everything you read about in the Bible, to hear God's voice for yourself. Uh, Richard, give us a few tips on how to hear God's voice. You know, a lot of times it's important when we're first learning to do something to clear away the distractions. I used to think I could only hear God if it was quiet, and I found out it doesn't matter how loud it is or how many distractions there are. God's voice is I, I know people that say they only hear God's voice in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was actually at an event in New York City, and the music was so loud I couldn't hear myself. When I was talking or shouting, I couldn't hear myself, and I thought, there's no way I can hear God to do ministry right now. And it was like the still small voice was so clear, and I was like, that is amazing. He's louder than, than this music is. And he didn't have to shout. Um, and it was surprising to me. But um, typically, when you're new at something, you want to eliminate those distractions. So it's important to find a quiet place and be able to concentrate and focus and not have any distractions. Um, the next thing that's important is to understand just a little bit about what God's voice sounds like. I always thought it would sound like um, thunder rolling in the background from the clouds. You hear James Earl Jones or Morgan Freeman's voice. Um, oh, Richard, this is God. Something <laughs> along that lines. And then as I would wait, I didn't hear anything like that. And I began to realize that it's God speaks spirit to spirit. And when his spirit speaks to us, most of the time we interpret that in our mind. So we're going to process what God says in our mind. Sometimes that can be pictures and that would be a vision. Sometimes it can be a song. Sometimes it can be a scripture verse. Sometimes it can, it, it's like an impression, but it's really clear, and we can understand what that impression means. And so I, I ask people, pay attention to what's going on in your mind. I, I used to ask to hear God, and it would drive me crazy because I would see pictures, and I thought, why can't I get rid of these images? And I would have thoughts, God-type thoughts, but I thought, i got to get rid of all my thoughts. i got to get rid of these pictures so I can hear the James Earl Jones type of voice coming from heaven. Then I realized that the Spirit of God has been speaking to me for years. When I would ask God to speak to me, he would give me visions. But I didn't know that's what it was because no one had ever said. Just like God said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, what do you see? He said to Amos, Amos, what do you see? And they would say something really ordinary. I see a boiling pot. Most of the time when I'm seeing things, they're just ordinary things. 
But then God explains to me what they mean. When I, when I tell him what I see, and I say, what does this mean? All of a sudden, I know what it means. His Spirit is bringing illumination. So it's very important, I believe, to write down. And I ask people when they begin to write this down, what, what they're getting in their mind, to not censor it. Not yet. That's the last step. It's important to test anything you hear because people can hear the voice of the enemy. Sometimes our own imagination, our own thoughts can be operating. But when you're in the writing process and when you're in the listening process, don't censor it. Write it all down. I was teaching a couple young uh, girls that had been adopted from Russia to to do this. And it was interesting because they wrote down every word, like I told them. And the first thing they heard was, don't listen to this guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's going to hurt you. Get away from him. And I said, thank you for writing that down. What was that? And she goes, oh, that's the demons that talk to me. I said, does your church that you go to talk about demons? And she goes, no, I've had demons my whole life. I was like, okay. I said, is that all you wrote down? She goes, no. I said, what else did you write down? She said, the next thing I wrote down was, don't listen to them. I am here. Hmm. I'm going to heal you. I said, wow. What do you think that was? And she said, oh, that was God. I said, have you heard him before? And she was like, yeah, I hear him, but most of the time I'm hearing the demons. And I was like, it was, it was so profound because that's what many people experience. We, the spirit realm is more real than we realize. And when we write down what we're getting, it's usually pretty easy to tell, oh, this is God, this is the enemy, this is my own thoughts. But when we ask God to speak to us, and we write down what comes to our mind most of the time. What begins to happen is we begin to write down. Is, is it important to write it down? Can't you just remember it? I can't remember what my wife told me to get at the grocery store. <laughs> that list is four items long, and I get there, and I, and I can't remember but one of the items, and I get the wrong thing. So, you know, and I, and I have a pretty good mind, a pretty good memory, and I don't know what it is, but um, that's why I write down every word, because it, even when I'm doing ministry, people tell me very important things, and if I don't write it down, I'm not going to be able to refer back to it, because I'm gonna, um, it's going to be fuzzy, the details. How, how, how do you test whether it's God or the devil on something you've written down? Um, first of all, it's important to have a good understanding of Scripture, because that makes it easier to test. Um, you know, for me, I, I didn't know how to test, didn't know to test for a long time. But I began, I just saw over the years of doing it, I was like, it's always right. When I write down what I think God's telling me for someone, it's always right. They confirm it. And, and that just grew, I grew in confidence. Because a lot of times when I, I would know something about someone, I would know what's in their heart. I would know what they think about different things. He would tell me to say things to people, that it was going to touch them, and I would think, what? And I would tell them what God said, told me to tell them, and they would start weeping. And I was like, wow. Because he knows the inmost thoughts of their heart. And when I would speak what he would give me, it would bear fruit. And way better than anything I had ever done or could do with my words. 
Uh, you know, I was reading uh, on uh, you have a section called Hindrance to Hearing God's Voice. Uh, and uh, let me ask you about this one how we treat others, and in particular, husbands or wives, parents, children, other relationships. I- explain why that's a hindrance. Well, there's a scripture that says that God won't hear our prayers if we as men mistreat our wives. It's funny how that ended up in my conference, because one of the women that was editing my material, she uh, had a challenging relationship with her husband, and she threw that in there and made me a, a good point for it, and I kept it. And uh, because it's right there in the Word of God that sometimes our relationship with God is hindered because of how we treat our lives or how we treat other people. And uh, so it's just one of the ways that we can be hindered. When we have bitterness in our heart, it separates us from God. And, and another hindrance you talk about is the, the cares of this world. Yep. And that, again, they all come from Scripture, the hindrances that... And, and when we are so caught up in this world and filling our time, our attention, you know, from the time we wake up, we turn on the television, we're catching the sports news, um, listening to it, you know, on the radio. Um, it's what we talk about at break. Um, you know, we go to a, a restaurant, we're watching, you know, keeping track of the scores or whatever. And all that stuff I love. But if I don't, if I'm not intentional about my relationships, then I don't grow in those relationships. If I'm not intentional with time with my wife, that relationship falters. If I'm not intentional with my relationship with God, and I take time to listen, even though He's talking, I don't hear. My wife can be five feet away from me, two feet away from me, talking to me, but I think she's talking to someone else. I don't hear a word she says. God is there. He's talking, but so many times we're distracted. We think, oh, he's not talking to me, and so we're not listening. Real brief, tell me what your prayer life is like. What time do you usually start praying? How do you pray? I love the fact that God wakes me up early in the morning and um, that it's like hanging out with my best friend, I ask him what he wants to speak to me today. It took me a while to be willing to listen to God for me because I was afraid. I could listen to God for others because he was so loving to them, but I had this fear like I'm going to the principal's office, like God's going to straighten me out about something. But when I would listen to him for me, with like that fear, like, oh, no, what's he going to say? It was like he would build me up and speak of his love. And I finally realized, wow, I've got a block. I think I know God's love, but I anticipate that he's going to say, you know, mean things, hard things, and be mad at me. And I began to realize as I listened to him how loving he is. And there's nothing that builds me up more. Whoops, we're out of time right now, but I want Richard to continue mentoring you on how to hear God's voice. We want to get the God Speaks version of the Bible. You will love this translation, color-coded, everything supernatural. Take that word into you, and then the four-week Bible course, uh, actually, it's called God Speaks also, both available for a gift of $79. 
Call me now. It's time for you to hear God's voice. Shabbat broadcast. The Lord is blessing you right now. The Lord is smiling upon you right now. Someone's back and neck has just been healed. I I actually could hear the crack of, of healing going on. The Lord is surrounding you with his favor right now. The Lord, he's gifting you right now. The Lord is giving you his shalom, his completeness in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body right now in the name that is above every problem, every worry, every fear, every disease, every financial problem, every relationship problem. Yeshua HaMashiach Tzikenu, Jesus the Messiah, our righteousness. Our world is rife with comparisons about what separates us. Day after day, we go about our lives with tunnel vision. But Scripture tells us how Messiah broke down the wall between Jew and Gentile, allowing for the creation of one new man, one new humanity. This spiritual completeness is set to usher in the greatest move toward God the world has ever known. Log on to SidRoth.org today and learn how one new man is the key to unlocking God's greatest blessings. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. O-R-G. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpucha or Chalitzim, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. To place a credit card order, call anytime, 1-800-447-2697. For all other calls, the number is 704-943-6500. That's 704-943-6500. For a CD of this week's broadcast, send a donation to Sid Roth. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.